0: Hello and welcome back to Skeptics and Seekers I'm uh, one of your hosts, Dale, representing the Christian or Seeker side And I have, I'm have i joined by my co-host David Johnson, the Skeptic the Evil Skeptic, yes um, And we actually have a special treat for you guys Because we're joined by a special guest uh, Would you like to introduce yourself, special guest?
1: Hey guys, uh, this is Drew Sokol And what? it is great to be with you
0: Woo-hoo, excellent, thank you so much for for joining us. We're thrilled to have you, and um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to uh, the topic that we're gonna be going over with Drew. Um, So we've, first of all, we've come up with some interview questions, just sort of getting to know Drew, his story and that sort of thing, and where he's currently at in terms of his faith position, or or position on uh, Christianity and that sort of thing. Um, But then we're gonna sort of get into alternating between giving various considerations uh, to Drew um, on the pro side, reasons that Christians would try to convince him, you know, come back to the faith and that sort of thing. And also on the flip side, um, the evil skeptics come up with some ways to convince you to join the dark side, so to speak. So, yeah, that's where we're going to end and sort of have a discussion, see what you make of some of these reasons uh, and that sort of thing. So that... That's the plan that we have for today. And let me jump, um, let
2: me jump in there and add some color to that because okay. uh, one of the things that makes this podcast a little bit different than some of the others that uh, that Jew's been featured on, or uh, is that we are a Christian skeptic and we'll be giving him both uh, positions at once. Also, we will not necessarily be giving the positions that you think we will. Some of um, hmm. some of the pro positions will be coming from me, actually. <laughs> Um, because I, I think they're pretty good reasons. and some of the uh, skeptical positions might actually come from Dale. So uh, we are it is not so much a David is trying to convince you to jump and Dale is trying to convince you to stay. It's these are the, these are the best or at least most common arguments given on either side. And some are good or some, some are bad, but we want to we want to know, you know, after giving our take, how that actually plays with a person who's on the fence. We don't get to talk to a lot of people who are on the fence.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, and in that vein, I think the first thing to do is really to sort of turn it over to to Drew and give us sort of an introduction um, as to who you are, uh, maybe outline some of your faith journey, um, you know, sort of clarify. do, Do you consider yourself still to be a Christian in some sense, a Christian with doubts, uh, have you slipped into agnosticism? Um, yeah, just, just give us sort of a, an introduction as to who you are. Also,
2: and with this introduction, plug things because <laughs> we we forget. And so we will put things in the show notes and all that. We want to make sure that you get your
1: plugs in. Awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, I am uh, the host of Room for Doubt, that intersection between conservatism, progressivism, uh, and also Christianity and atheism agnosticism all these things uh, and I was the co-host of Hinge, a podcast digging into uh, doubt identity and and the question of who really was Jesus in history um, so giving you a little bit of the background of my story i you know I'll kind of wait to try to put a, a a tag on myself I'll give a little bit of suspense um but i I'll drop some facts from my own story that most people don't know that I don't think I've shared publicly that much. Uh, the first is that the first half of my childhood, I was actually in Scientology. Um, my mom was a Scientologist, and their main church is in Washington, D.C., and there was a building there that I I spent a lot of time at. I never went to a church service, but uh, spent many, many hours, many, many days in a Scientology building there. I wasn't inundated with too much of their views at the time with the kids. They just kind of let them run around and do their thing. So when I was about seven or eight years old, my parents split and my mom and I moved down to a little town outside of New Orleans. And we moved in right next door to this retired couple whose son-in-law was a big Baptist preacher in the area. And, uh, the entire family, the older couple, uh, the younger family was just incredible with us. Um, And, of course, they wanted to bring us to church. I quickly became best friends with uh, uh, the older couple's grandson. He was about my age. And from that point on, for most of my childhood, um, I was in church. Now, not consistently. Um, Sometimes uh, we would get a little bit worn out with one of the churches. We'd try another one. We'd stop going to church for a while. Uh, But by the time I came you know, to the age when you start to make these decisions for yourself. Uh, I mostly had an ingrained Christian worldview. Um, And I think like a lot of people, I was on a path towards uh, in college, drifting away from that, you know, uh, one decision at a time, you know, skipping Sunday, one Sunday after Sunday, you know, being drawn to girls, all those sorts of things that would pull you away. Uh, but then Katrina happened when I was a junior in college and I was in New Orleans. And uh, I, I don't think it's I, – I don't think most people understand just how devastating Katrina was for someone who's uh, a New Orleanian because I think in most areas of the country, your number one source of identity is – your family, uh, your family name, where you're from, those sorts of things and the cities. And maybe this is becoming more and more true with younger generations. Your number one source of identity is your career, your accomplishments. Uh, but New Orleans, your number one source of identity, for the most part, is that you're a New Orleanian and we're all one family together. And so even if you weren't personally affected by the storm in 2005, uh, it impacted you and wrecked you in a way that most of the country can't quite understand. Um Now, with that said, my mom lost her home. I had to relocate for a while. She relocated for about 10 years. And uh, that kind of forced a situation in my life for me at a very young age. I think I was 21 to think about the big questions in life in a very serious way before most people do. Usually you kind of rethink uh, your faith maybe when you start having kids and you think about how you want to raise them. For me, I was like – you know could a good god allow this to happen those kinds of classic questions and for a while it made me very angry it made me i don't know about atheist maybe agnostic uh but after having a little bit of time away from the faith i ended up uh wanting to re-engage with it and read a lot about the history of the gospels read a lot about the history of jesus's life and uh more than anything just read the gospels for myself over and over and over and over and over again i think a big prop challenge a lot of people face in this whole journey of faith is most people don't actually like meaningfully engage with the Bible themselves. They're looking at individual passages, or looking at proof texts, or relying on preachers. But digging into the Scriptures themselves is an in, in a very like comprehensive way is an entirely different experience. And I found the Gospels just had this quality about them that I found beautiful and that pulled me in. And so by the end of college, I became a really passionate Christian. For me, I've been very fortunate in my adult life that uh, I have been mostly exposed to the more compelling versions of Christian community. So, one of the things uh, that really drew me in when I was going through this process at the end of college uh, uh, was I was volunteering for Habitat for Humanity in the Upper Ninth Ward on Saturdays, and the vast majority of people that came either within New Orleans or from outside New Orleans that were coming to help and rebuild the city, um, they were Christians. And so it wasn't just like, you know, being a Christian is about voting conservative and holding to these beliefs and having a tight fist. It was the the Christianity I was being exposed to was other oriented. It was giving. It was sacrificing. Um, it was also around that time very related to where I was and what had happened in my city that I... I think learned a better, more accurate version of what the Bible actually teaches about, you know, quote unquote end times, about eschatology. Um, You know, when you read Revelation 21, when you read 1 Thessalonians 4, you get this image of this holy city coming down and making new the world that we're in. That the story of the Bible is God created the world. He made it good. It's fallen. He loves it and he wants to restore it, Uh, not just kind of destroy it and whisk us off somewhere else. Uh, and given that I was in a city that had just been destroyed, this, uh, promise of a God coming down and restoring the city that I loved and new Orleans is a bad rap, but man, it's, it's always going to be my favorite city. Um, the diversity, the richness, the joy, uh, people interact across socioeconomic strata and racial differences in ways that I haven't seen in other cities. Um, it just appealed to my heart, and so I ended up leaving college. Very passionate, uh, I was fortunate. I moved to New York, and I got immediately plugged into a church called Redeemer, which uh, a lot of people may be familiar with the name Tim Keller. He had the book *Reason for God* and is a multiple-time New York Times bestseller. <clears throat> it was his church, and um, I think a lot of people, when you think of like what is, uh, an intelligent but at the same time still captivating uh, portrayal of the Bible and of Jesus specifically, uh, when people think about like, where should you go for that kind of, uh, Christian community? I think a lot of people who were aware of the church scene, would say you should go to Redeemer Presbyterian church in New York city. And I was fortunate to be there. And that just kind of stirred everything that was already even further of what was already being stirred. And I became an intern at the church, um, started leading skeptics groups. Uh, some people came to Christ through that, Um, you know, and I was just kind of casually leading these groups, uh, with friends and with teachers I worked with and things like that. And that's when I really started to engage in these skeptical conversations. Uh, and it prompted me to want to go to seminary and, uh, I stayed within the Presbyterian church, the PCA. And, uh, after seminary was, uh, a pastor at a very large church in Los Angeles, Uh, before kind of meandering my way back to New York, back to Redeemer Presbyterian Church. Um, Along the way, you know, if if people have listened to Hinge, the first episode of Hinge gets into this part of my story. Uh, I was on uh, stage, we had three services every Sunday at a big high school auditorium. And uh, I was preaching all three services that day in 2014. And I was preaching a sermon on truth, and you know, as we kind of wrestle with these questions uh, of you know w- what can I really rely on in my life? what actually is true what what can I build my life on that's uh promising but dependable and, and strongly rooted uh, and I was as I, as I was making the turn in my sermon in that first sermon that day with the bright lights on me, facing maybe eight hundred people in the room at that time, uh, as I was making the turn in this in the sermon to say, well, Jesus is the ultimate source of truth. Jesus is the answer that you're looking for. I felt this wave of doubt uh, come on me. Like, you know, I'm not sure that I believe this anymore. And here I am, I have all these people looking for their weekly encouragement, something that can send them out of the room with confidence. And part of your job as a pastor is you're, you're literally like a dispenser of confidence. You know, you see someone who's Struggling with cancer, and you go visit with them. A big part of what you need to do is uh, share your own confidence that there's a good God whose hand they're in. Uh, And you look at them and you look them in the eye and say, uh, You know, God is your keeper. He's keeping everything that's happening and unfolding in your life, even this. And in this moment, I was looking at all these people preaching about the truth of Jesus, not believing it myself. I kept my composure, but I immediately went off stage when the sermon was over. And not only cried, like wept, but I went to the bathroom and threw up. Um, And I ended up pressing through the, you know, the other sermons that day, but kind of had this crazy existential crisis throughout the day behind the scenes. Uh, And that prompted me to take a six month break from ministry. And I kind of, and that's actually uh, when I really built a relationship with Corey, who was my co-host on Hinge uh, I wanted to have conversation partners from all kinds of different sides, and Corey was a great, thoughtful atheist guy, very uh, likable atheist guys, because I know most of you guys are all jerks. Um, obviously a joke for anyone listening to this who doesn't know me. <laughs> Actually,
2: I am a jerk, so you uh, I wasn't offended at all.
1: Well, there we go. We'll get along. <laughs> um,
0: yeah, so, but, uh, you, sorry.
1: <laughs> so I, I kind of repeated, but to a greater depth, the process that I went through in college of really wrestling with what I believed uh, because I think there was some disillusionment that happened to me when I was in seminary that maybe we can come back to later in the podcast that had been stirring within me for years. And I I hadn't really been praying actively in my personal life. I think there were a lot of signs that pointed to this kind of thing happening for me, but that I wasn't allowing myself to really be aware of or to think about. Uh, but I ended up kind of diving back into what I really believed, researching things at greater depth, ended up coming out of it with at least what I thought was greater confidence and conviction. And it was, it wasn't long after that, that I ended up moving briefly to Philadelphia and then to New York back to Redeemer and went on as a pastor there. Um, and was kind of a similar setting. You know, it was a big church preaching to a lot of people. Um, And, uh, this is where my story gets, uh, even more personal. Um, when I, I had taken a bit of a break from ministry to start kind of figuring out this idea for hinge that Corey and I had. Uh, and then when I went back, I just felt uneasy about it from the beginning. Um, I was, uh, really, really well received by the congregation in terms of my preaching abilities and how the church wanted to support me with whatever, you know, future churches I would want to start. And, uh the money and the people that they would put behind me to to pursue whatever it is basically that I'd want to do in terms of planning a church um but I just felt uneasy the whole time and uh I had been married for a couple of years and it was um uh, it's always hard to talk about this publicly because you want to be sensitive but it just wasn't a healthy dynamic it wasn't a healthy relationship and uh I started talking at some point Uh, very directly with leadership in the church that uh, it was a very fraught marriage. And eventually I was getting to the point that I was considering divorce. And this is a church that I'd respected for a decade for their intellectual honesty and intellectual rigor. And, you know, a lot of people, if you've been brought up in the church, you know, the quick proof text of Matthew 19. Jesus says only, we'll say adultery, but actually what Jesus says in there is sexual is sexual immorality, uh, porneia. That's the one reason you can get a divorce. And so um, now a lot of Christians out there will say, well, you can't consider a divorce. That's obviously wrong unless they've cheated on you. Uh, you know. But more intelligent and more studied voices will, will say, no, there's a lot more nuance in the Bible than that. And Jesus often spoke in stark terms to make point, you know, like, hate. you should your love for me should look like or your 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 love for your mother and brother should look like hate compared to your love for me. Uh, and if you dig into uh, I believe it's Exodus 24, Deuteronomy 21, you just see and even some of the things Paul says in First Corinthians, you just see a lot more nuance on that topic. And yet, despite all that. My consideration was so quickly dismissed as in like I was dealing with people I had long relationships with Uh, who still wanted my good, but they were so thoroughly convinced before they knew anything about what was happening in my own life that, of course, divorces, of course you can't do that. Uh, And obviously you would lose uh, 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 your ordination and would have to leave the ministry. And so I'm not trying to overemphasize that point, but I, I was already in a situation where I was, for the second time, really doubting that I wanted to be in this thing. And then I had that kind of piled up on top of it, uh, where I was feeling like I was trapped in a situation that was unhealthy and it just brought me to a point where it kind of made it easy, even though it was going to make my life tumultuous for a while, which it still is because I would say in the last nine months I've left, um, my career, uh, that I spent a decade building. I've left, um, my marriage and I've left uh, we'll get to this in a minute but to some degree I've left my faith at least temporarily and um, uh, I knew all that that's what my life was going to look like but I was I had just been dealing with so much doubt and so much tension and was so tired of portraying confidence that I no longer had that I was like I don't care how long of a process it's going to be try to try to rebuild my life but um, I'm out. I'm out of ministry at least, and at least I'm going to take a break from Christianity and see what comes out of that. And so, where I am now, the tag I've used with people, even though I think a lot of us are uncomfortable with tags, those of us who kind of find ourselves at the edge, uh, is I find myself to be Christ haunted. Um, as in, I think the world, you know, speaking of dismissiveness, um, I think the world is very dismissive of. The claims surrounding Jesus and that there's a lot more evidence, as you can hear is my position in Hinge, uh, for Jesus and the life of Jesus, not that he lived, but even the miracles and specifically the resurrection and what's come of its since then most people don't have any idea about it. And they would quickly dismiss it because, oh, we know those things don't happen. Um, I think there's a lot more there. But, at the same time, uh, and I think this came through in the Camp Polo interview that you guys mentioned before we started here, um, I think the whole setup, where there's this good and loving God who would not reveal himself more clearly, um, it just feels like a game that I'm tired of playing, and it feels uh, you know, Jesus makes such big promises in the upper room discourse and you know, John thirteen through seventeen about, um, the impact that the Holy Spirit is going to have in individual lives and the lives of the church. And I think if you zoom out, you can see amazing things that the church has done over the course of 2000 years. Um, you know, secular historians will say, you know, a lot of human rights values we take for granted wouldn't exist in Christianity, not come along all those things. But I think as someone who's been a pastor and worked in depth in so many people's lives and in community and all that for so many years, I'm just like, eh, I don't think what I see is even 10% of what Jesus seems to promise in John. Like, I think the biggest source of doubt for me is not only that God wouldn't make himself abundantly clear. And I never for any point in my Christian journey have thought that he has. Um, but I just I I think the promises of the Holy Spirit, I just don't see them coming true the way you would think if you're kind of a learned person of the Bible. Um, And so I find myself, you know, I've taken a break from church, as I mentioned, and I kind of need it to heal, Um, you know, and I don't know where I'm going to end up. I I really don't know. I I hold the position that if I'm going to be a Christian, I should be in a Christian community. I should be in a church. Uh, But that's not going to happen anytime in the next few months.
0: Before before I hand it over to David, just, just one quick follow-up, if you don't mind. Um, what about yeah. your stance um, on something like general theism? So so putting Christianity aside, um, I, I know you disca- you've you described yourself with Barth as a practical atheist, but intellectually you were—I wasn't sure. Yeah, would you want to clarify, like, do you, do you believe in God in general or—?
1: Yeah. You know, I think, uh, I have a hard time believing there's not something out there. Yeah. Um, I, uh, there's an, I think it's the second episode of room for doubt. I just get on the mic and I talk, there's no interview. It's just me hogging the mic, uh, and talk about a lot of things. I come, I've just read about in science over the years that, and not just from Christian sources, cause sometimes that gets construed the wrong way. Um, but just things in science that it's just like, Oh my goodness. Like, how are we here? You know, like, you know, in apologetic circles, we often talk about, um, you know, all the values that had to be uh, just the right, fine tuned to the specific degree and just the right way for us to be here at all in the universe. But, um, you yeah, know, there the are a principle. lot of, yeah, there are a lot of things that had to be come together in just the right way at the planetary level, at the cellular level, in human evolution for us to be here at all. Um, So many things that baffle science, uh, scientists. And um, of course that's not proof for anything. I think any discussion of proof is unhelpful in these circles because of course there's not proof for anything and arguing or trying to reason together isn't gonna get us to proof. Um, But it just, for me, when you combine that even just with our consciousness, I'm like, there's gotta be something out there. Now, to some degree, that could just be pushing the question back, like, uh, if there is a God, who made God? Where did he come from? I get that. But at the same time, things seem to be designed for us in such a peculiar and odd way that I have a hard time believing there's not something out there. That said, if I believe that maybe there's this God who's distant or I don't know what the hell he's doing, that's not going to impact my life. I'm not, that's not going to change my life in any way, I don't think, from just being an atheist. Uh, but I don't. I don't. I actually don't see myself intellectually ever coming to atheism or considering atheism. I. I, I would just be agnostic.
0: Okay. Cool. Hey, do sure. you have anything?
2: Um. You know, I, I looking at the interview questions, and there really isn't anything you haven't covered,
1: except maybe the
2: very last. That's <laughs> probably one
1: here. gave you way more than no, you bargained for. actually, no, when actually you asked me to tell my story.
2: Yeah. Actually, <laughs> so it, much yeah it's it's great and you you did cover the, the questions that we had here um but i I'm wondering so i i still in my mind see you as a person on the fence now you may be on the fence with you know one leg more over on one side than the other right now, but you're not a person who who has decided okay i'm I'm all the way this or I'm all the way that um so my question would be, what would it take to tip you, uh, permanently, uh, or at least decisively on one side or the other?
1: Hmm. Hmm. I, um, I, I think it might take a personal experience. Um, you know, in my own podcast, the person I've really enjoyed talking with is someone named Drew Marshall. And that's. You know, he he's very clear. He wants a tangible, personal experience. I think that's true for me. I think, you know, a lot of people like probably a lot of people who listen to your podcast listen to Unbelievable with Justin Briley. And it's a big, you know, Justin knows his intellectual stuff as well as anyone. But also a central part to his story is, uh, you know, he, he had, I think, as a teenager had like a very tangible encounter and. Uh, I've never had anything like that. I've had weird things happen in my life that it's like, Ooh, this kind of seems like someone's guiding my life. But, um, I think I would need that or, you know, the most straightforward answer I can give, I think a more sustainable reason to want it to be true. Um, and what I mean by that is I think at the end of the day, I think this came through for, uh, in my year of intense discussion with Corey Uh, you know the every argument you try to build it's built on premises of course and those premises I find to just at the end of the day no matter how you want to put it it's based on feeling you know we come up with these premises on the Christian side on the atheist side that are really to me I find to be driven by feeling and I'm in a season of my life right now where And I think this came through when I shared my story that I have some unsettledness and even maybe some bitterness and pain that I'm dealing with with regard to the church. And so that sent me into a season of my life for really the first time where I'm like, I don't care if it's true. Maybe I don't want it to be true. Um, Maybe I don't want this God to be real. But um, I don't think that feeling is going to sustain. And I think as I come out of this season of my life, uh, I think it. I think we're shaped by our relationships. And you know, let's say I end up married to someone who's a Christian, and the way she lives her life is beautiful. And um, and I end up in this Christian community, and they're just serving uh, and fighting for social justice in a really compelling way. Obviously, none of those things make for a good argument for its truth. But I think those kinds of things deeply impact us. And I think it would probably put me in an emotional state where I would more buy into things again. Whereas right now, I'm kind of reeling from it.
2: But the same thing would be true if you married a humanist who was also highly involved in things that you cared about. Is that that not true?
1: Totally. Absolutely.
2: Okay. So with that, I think that we should um, dive into the second part of this. I want to say, Drew, there was so much of what you said that made me want to... Jump in and either agree or um, or or make a comment, but I, I'm just gonna leave it there for the moment. Mm. There may be um, no, I'm not, okay, I couldn't do it. Um, <laughs> th- I almost got out. <laughs> Did I mention I'm a jerk? Um, so the uh the part about um, you know, there must be some meaning or purpose. I've, I've heard you say things like this, and I hear, I hear this type of argument on Unbelievable and other shows when, when Christians are kind of waxing poetic about uh, some of the underlying uh, things that push them in that direction. And what I hear is existential angst. I hear yeah. there must be something, because I feel very uncomfortable if there isn't. Uh, we must have a purpose, because if we don't, that makes me feel queasy, um, that's, that's kind of what I hear. And uh, as far as how the universe came about, you know, someone must have planned this out. Even that is not a terribly compelling argument when you think about it, because it really depends on the type of being that planned it out. I mean, you have to ask why a being would create a universe. Well, maybe they need a universe to survive. It's their sustenance. The cow in the field uh, might have an existential moment wondering why he is there. Uh, or she is there in such an idyllic place uh she does not know about dinner uh that 's why she 's there she 's not there for any noble purpose from her perspective, very noble purpose uh from the farmer 's perspective. uh The pawn on the chessboard you know might wonder why it 's there well actually i 'm going to push you in the way uh of this night because I need to make some space here for my other people so it it 's not extremely compelling. That there might be something that p- put us here and planned us out—that's that's not enough information uh, to to be a compelling reason to follow one path or another.
1: Yeah, I would definitely agree. It's not a compelling enough reason to to follow one specific f- path. There there being a God doesn't say anything about Christianity specifically. Um. Now, with that said, I actually don't think. Uh, now, this may be true at a subconscious level, uh, more than uh, I suspect, but at least consciously, I'm not as much of the existential angst person when it comes to um, my goodness, you know, why are we here? And I have this kind of overwhelming fear of death. Uh, I, I don't think that's quite me. I think I think that piece of things is a little bit more intellectual, where I just. It just seems to be such a cra- like, as crazy as it is to say that, you know, this dude in history 2,000 years ago and uh, the little armpit of a, you know, corner of the Roman Empire literally rose from the dead. Like, that's not some nice metaphor that can encourage you as you tackle the problems in your career. It's not that. It's like he literally did scientifically. Um, as crazy as something like that is to believe, I think it's just as hard, maybe even more as hard to believe that all these kind of scientific factors fell into place at all these different times. And, uh, you know, the formation of the universe, the planet of us, uh, for us to be here in the way that we are. Um, that piece, I think, is is really a little bit more intellectual for me than it is emotional.
2: So uh, honestly, I'm going to let it go because I, 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 this is one of my favorite <laughs> subjects to talk about um but uh, I think
0: let's move, move on. I, I yeah. for my part I, I just I loved your your testimony as to your journey I, I thought it was very thoughtful um, it shows that you you give critical thought uh, to your positions um a lot you know there are some things I personally don't agree with but there was a lot that resonated with me personally so yeah I, I, I'm excited I just wanted to say thank you for giving such a, a thorough explanation as to where you're at. I appreciated that. Um,
2: yeah. in, in just for level setting, uh, to remind the audience, uh, in case we've got some new people here, uh, me, David, the evil uh, skeptic jerk, uh, I share a lot in common with Drew's story because I was a Christian for most of my life, uh, the, the majority of it, the vast majority of it. And I was a preacher of some description during uh, a good bit of that. I've been a church leader in... Three different denominations. So uh, Christianity mm. is not new to me, and and very various elements of this journey uh, also resonate with me. So just just a quick reminder. Hey Dale, can't you think that we can tip him uh, one way or the other? Get him, get him off oh. that fence. <laughs> Fences are very uncomfortable, especially for dudes. What do you say we get him off that fence?
0: Well, I I, I don't think we'll be able to do anything in the immediate moment, and I don't expect to. But um, I hope by the end of this, we might give them something to consider and maybe after some time it, it might make a difference. I mean, who knows? Uh, so so yeah, let, let's get into starting with uh, a question on the light side. And this is something, uh, a piece of advice that Christians will sometimes give. I personally w- wouldn't, especially hearing about your background. But um, you might hear some Christians trying to to tell you, You know stay with the faith drew because you know you're losing out on that church community and and atheist communities you know they just don't compare to to the love and and that sort of thing and the you know the strong bonds of fellowship that you get in the church um not yeah as i said it, it i don't want to bring up anything painful given your personal experience but what what do you make of this is this a good reason to consider staying in the faith in your opinion or or why or
2: why not so before you answer that i have to counter that because i'm the evil atheist and i'm actually going to counter it by saying i i agree with <laughs> with this actually so if if community means something to you at all you know you're not going to be able to call up a group of atheists and say hey i'm moving in 2 weeks can can you send a couple of guys with trucks <laughs> that's not going to happen there's no there's no such organization and uh, you know when you do get married you know where are you going to get married uh, a church great where are you, otherwise where are you going to get married the atheist hall no um you're going to call up your rolodex of atheist friends to surround you with no it it really so i am willing to admit that community is one of the things that we lose hard i I miss it i and, and i 'm about the hardest atheist you 're going to talk to in a while. I miss it, and so um i would I would ask you to to consider that on the pro side what is how what does that sound like to you How do you weigh that argument
1: yeah you you know when I was a pastor um I oversaw community systems. A big um, piece to a healthy community group is just how consistent are the people involved. Uh, Because I was a pastor in places like L.A. and New York, people are working 80 hours a week and their lives are crazy and they're so focused on their ambition that it's sometimes hard to get them to prioritize other aspects of their lives. And that that tends to damage a community. If you have people coming out in and out, you don't quite know if they're going to be there because they're always working so much. And so uh, I incorporated this into my preaching and would have a lot of individual conversations about this. But I'd be like, how sure are you that you really believe that this is true? Because if you really believe that this thing is true, then this determines everything about your life. Um, Are you sure that there's not some doubt within you that you're just kind of unwilling to address or to wrestle with? And I bring that up because um, I find the people who really get the most out of a Christian community naturally are the people who throw themselves in. But the people who throw themselves in really have a deep, strong belief, not 100 percent, but basically a deep, strong belief that it really is true. And so I think uh, I think it would be difficult to uh, just kind of enter into a Christian community saying, uh I'm going to invest myself fully into this, even though I don't really believe it. I don't think I would actually, um, I don't think I would connect deeply enough. I don't think I would be consistent enough. I don't think it would actually pay off, but I definitely uh, agree that, um, you know, going into a season of my life where, you know, for the first time in a long time, I don't have that Christian community. And obviously I had it in spades by being a pastor. You just... You don't have enough time for all the people that you could spend time with who are a great hang and you'd have a blast with. Um, And now going into a situation where I don't have that, I definitely miss it deeply. But I I not only miss having that natural community. And there is something to be said for, you know, I think a lot of people now we have a lot of one off relationships. Like here's someone I'm friends with that I get beer or coffee with. Here's someone I'm friends with that I get beer or coffee with. Here's someone over there. Here's someone. But fewer of us, especially because our lives are more transient, fewer of us have a circle that we can say, really belong." Not only do I know all these people, but they know each other. and Ron over here, you know, pulls out an aspect of James that I wouldn't see otherwise. Uh, it, there's this feeling of belonging that it can create. Um, and I also do like, um, you know, especially for me being in New York. Yeah, they're they're so focused in New York on status and achievement and accomplishment that I do think because Christian community and it's not that atheist community can't do this, but Christian community, because there's this book telling you to do it is more intentional, you know, in most cases of doing this to be like, you know, fuck the pretenses. Uh, sorry, I don't know if I could say that, but um, you, you can. From you know, my perspective, <laughs>
2: it, it gives it gives Dale the heebie-jeebies, and so I I would appreciate it if you'd say it more.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I try never to censor. We're having real conversations. Um, but yeah, just be mindful there are Christians that it might be offensive to, but at the same time, this is a free free combo. You're not you know obligated to to not say anything or whatever. So yeah.
1: Yeah. uh, Well, I I do think in Christian Christian community, it's just more often the case that we're like, you know, the word brokenness is overused and I kind of get tired of hearing it. But there is something valuable to say, like, no, we're all broken people. We're all insecure people. Let's forget the pretenses. And, you know, how can we create a meaningful, uh, satisfying life together and impact the people and world around us? Um, I just think it's more often the case. And I do miss that.
2: Okay. Obviously, it's not the thing that pushes you over the edge. Let me give you one from the other side. This is also a kind of a softball, though. Let's see how it goes. It's okay to say you don't know. If you if you walk away from religion, you can say I don't know. There's a there's no push to be intellectually dishonest, uh, and so things that you don't know, you can just say I don't know. Uh, Dale.
0: Yeah. You, oh, you want me to respond yes. to that? Yes. Uh, do you,
2: do you, do you so, counter? Do you counter that argument, or
0: do you uh, uh, agree with it? I, so I I agree with it, uh, but I I wouldn't agree that this is exclusive to Christianity. I, I I think that we are allowed as Christians to say I don't know. Heck, heck there's so much I don't know. I I can tell. I could learn a lot from Drew. Uh, I'm a new Christian. I just converted five months ago, and there mm. may be you know, certain things where I just, well, right now, I don't know. Uh,
2: You know, you're not a, you're not a preacher of a church of, you know, hundreds of people. So you're, you're the preacher and someone comes up to you and says, is there really heaven? I don't know is not really an option (laughs) for you in that case.
0: Sure. So, so yeah, we'll, we'll see. Okay. uh, So yeah, let's see what, how Drew think, what Drew thinks of this. Um, There might be pressure from a pastoral perspective. I'm just, a christian believer kind of thing so yeah i think we should turn it over to drew then and see what
1: he says well number one you guys are making me really interested in your own stories uh you know coming to christ just five months ago i'm I'm fascinated but uh for for me on this question um you know i i i I definitely am drawn to just throwing up in my hands in the air and just being like oh my goodness like i I don't want to deal with this anymore there's there's a uh Um, a verse in Psalm 73 where Asaph uh, says it seemed to me a wearisome task and I just love that line so much it's like descriptive of how I feel about all this it's like oh my gosh I'm just so exhausted from like constantly living with this thing looming over my life this question looming over my life have I made the right decisions have I invested myself in the thing that's actually true uh, and I'm just tired at this point, but, um, I do think like Christians can say, I don't know. And the circles I've been in, you know, it's, it's mo- more, people are more self-aware. There's not as much of the pretense. Like when you really ask them sincerely, like, do you know, are you hundred percent sure? I'd be like, of course not. Um, but I think like most of us internally, we live our lives more on a scale of probability. Like, you know, I don't know if you guys are married, but, are, you know, are you 100% sure? <laughs> well, that would make for a really interesting podcast. Um, <laughs> if you want ratings, there you go. Um, the uh, uh, But, you know, if, if you have a wife and, uh, you know, you were to think like, am I really 100% sure? Like, we'll always be together. She won't leave me or anything like that. No, of course you're not. But but you have a, a, a very strong feeling of probability within you. Like the chances are so – maybe you feel the chances are so slim that it will end or she would leave you that you move forward in confidence. And I think like you don't have to be absolutely certain as a Christian, but you have to have some degree – and it doesn't need to be 95 percent or 99 percent, but you need to have some strong – feeling that it really is true to be able to move forward in confidence, even if it's not a hundred percent. And to the point that you guys made earlier, I do think that depending on the kind of personality you have, like, I think that percentage has to internally be higher for a pastor because you're constantly being pressed on your faith in terms of like, Seeing people in horrific situations and you need to share, like I said earlier, it's almost like you need to disperse confidence to them that you, but it has to come from a place that's real within you for otherwise you're just going to live your life as a fraud. And I think a lot of psychiatrists would tell you living your life, uh, you know, unless you're a sociopath, uh, in a constant lie or something that, you know, is untrue about you is basically the most damaging thing you can do to your own psyche. Um, and so it really has to come to a place come from a place of high confidence if you're a pastor but it still has to come from a place of confidence though not certainty uh i think to be to genuinely be a christian
2: okay so i consider that a point for the dark side cuz over here you don't have to be confident <laughs> about anything <laughs> you don't have yeah. to know anything you just <laughs> Okay, cool. You know where the guess. best bagel and coffee is—that's that's all you gotta go.
1: Real, real quick. Do you, uh, do you, David? Do you consider yourself uh, more of an agnostic then, rather than an atheist?
2: No, I'm an, I'm a hard atheist. Uh, okay, well, I would can, I would, can I I would it, love to say I'm an agnostic because that sounds better, and people people kind of regard you better, you know, because you're more open minded. And uh, Christians say, so you're saying I have a chance, huh? Uh, no, you do not have a chance. I am a hard atheist, so that. Uh, sorry.
1: <laughs> oh, interesting. Real, real. What's What's like? Uh, I know listeners will have already heard this, but real quick, like, what would you say is like the main reason why for you?
2: Yeah, um, I don't. I don't believe it. I mean, that's. I. I don't. I'm not even entirely sure that a person needs a reason. So uh, obviously, I could. I could talk for three hours on the. The subject, but I'll just say the thing that's less common that people uh, don't hear a lot. You don't actually need a reason to not believe something. And hard atheism, as hard as harsh as it sounds, is <laughs> simply that I don't believe it. Uh, huh. You've you've given you've told me this story, and you've asked me to live my life by it, and I said uh, no. I've considered it, and I don't believe it. I don't actually have to provide you with a reason why I don't believe. In fact, I don't even know that we have to provide ourselves a reason that we don't believe it because I don't believe that we can choose in a libertarian way what we do and don't believe. We can choose what we want to believe. Uh, We can try to believe something. I think that that's possible. In fact, even someone challenged me on whether we could choose what what we try to believe. Uh, And they, they had a point there, but at the end of the day, whether I believe the story or not, I don't believe is within my libertarian free will to do. I believe it or I don't believe it. And in this case, having tried most of my life to believe it, I don't believe it. And so at the end of the day, that's that's the only answer I need give to that question.
1: It's interesting because it sounds like you throw, and at the end of the day, these tags don't really matter. Um, they're just terms, and it defi- depends on how you personally define those terms. But uh, it sounds like you sound like you want to take a position of "I don't know," uh, whereas I think of atheism as you were saying. No, I know. Um, not, not again. Not with certainty, but
2: yeah. It's, but it. But I, I don't you, you mind sound using. More like,
1: I don't mind using yeah. that language,
2: though, uh, Drew. And the the, it's kind of like this. If I if I were to ask you, uh, do you believe in the tooth fairing? You would probably say no, but if I ask you, are you absolutely sure that the Tooth Fairy doesn't exist? Well, maybe, you know, for some philosophical reason, you would have to pause and say, well, I can't say for certain, but I, I yeah. am as certain as that. I am certain enough so that I don't have to spend my life wondering whether this uh, is real or not. I, I don't I don't spend my life wondering if the Tooth Fairy is real, if the spying Spaghetti Monster is real, if Santa Claus is real, and having put in even more time and research in serious consideration over God, it is unreal enough for me so that I don't have to spend my time wondering about that either. Now, is that certainty? I I don't know. But that's where I am.
1: Yeah, see, I tend to think of like, because it, obviously, with your story, and this is obviously true for both of us, it sounds like you think through that question, mostly in terms of Christianity, like you referred to, you reject this story, and I'm assuming you're referring to the Christian story. Yes, and so I, I uh, for me, I hear like the uh, and, you know, and the, the Jewish the tooth story. fairy example. Oh. By the way, <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, I think I think of more rejecting the tooth fairy, not akin to rejecting any god. It's more akin to rejecting something very specific, like the Christian god. Whereas I'm very, I'm, while I reject the tooth fairy, I'm very open to the idea of like, you know, maybe there is some kind of supernatural thing or other dimension that we just have no idea about yet. That, that
2: could just be um, where you are in your knowledge of science, though, where you, you cannot uh, imagine a way that the universe could come about without some kind of supernatural intervention. I can imagine a way where the Hmm. universe can come out about without supernatural intervention. So I don't actually need that to imagine how
0: we're here. Interesting. All right. Cool. so, so yeah, I I think, yeah, that's a great, great conversation there. Um, Just sort of flipping then to the, to back to the light side. Um, Once again, uh, this isn't a reason I think personally is a good one, but I can see it's a famous um, thing that Christians might use with you, Pascal's wager, um, what, what do you make of, um, if somebody came with you with Pascal's wager, I mean, my goodness, you're risking eternal damnation. Um, you know, it's, it's obviously worth the cost to stay in the faith and, you know, if you turns out you're wrong, okay, whatever, uh, you, you, you're maggot food. Um, but if you're right, wow, the rewards will be so amazing. Um. Yeah, what, what do you make of, of this sort of reason, Drew? Do you think this should convince you to stay in the faith?
2: So, before you answer yeah. that, Drew, I'm actually gonna I'm going to agree uh, with Dale here too. So, I think Pascal's wager is kind of silly, but I think there are forms of Pascal's wager that we could imagine that would make a little bit more sense. So, maybe a softer version of Pascal's wager is if you. Uh, go full atheism, what might you lose in in your life there? Whereas if you go full Christianity, what might you lose? And it seems to me that what you might lose if you go to full Christianity, at least for some people, is less than what uh, you would lose if you go full atheism. And so uh, even if you don't, quote unquote, believe in either one of them, it might make more practical sense to stay on the Christian side simply because you risk less.
1: The basic options where this thing is either true or it's not true. And I I don't want to say he viewed it as a 50-50 proposition, but he was looking at it as two basic choices. Where now we live in a world with globalization and everything where, you know, there are hundreds of choices if you really want to dig into it. And so it's hard to apply I, I'm also not someone who is really in a long time believed in the type of uh, really in the, the the kind of hell a lot of evangelicals do. Um, not necessarily, you know, like certainly not of literal fire, but uh, I tend to believe that it's more consistent with the biblical story and make sense of the texts to think that uh, to take an annihilationist position from the Bible that we just it's kind of lights out for us if If we're not believers, um, so, I also don't really have the fear of hell that you know, some people who may follow Pascal's wager have. so that plays into it too. But more than anything, it's 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 hard to it's hard to change your own actions because at the end of the day, Christianity is not about what you state. It's about how you live your life. It's like you know, a- any psychologist will tell you, your actions reveal to you what you actually believe, not what you consciously think. Like, if you're reading your Bible regularly and praying, that will tell you, do you really believe it? And if you're not, I, you know, I would ask, are you sure you really believe it? Because um, if you're saying this is the most important thing in your life then you're act- and the truth of the universe, then if you really believe it, it's going to come through in your actions. Um, and I don't quite mean it that starkly, but, you know, for the sake of time, I'll leave it at that.
2: Okay, um, let's, let's try one from the dark side. Um, I'm, I'm actually, it's actually strange to call this from the dark side because I'm going to talk about morality. I would say that if you went uh, to the atheist side of the fence, morality actually clarifies. It's, it's, it's muddier on the Christian side. And so as an unbeliever, when you do good for a person, you are doing good for goodness sake. It is an act of good that comes from you and you alone. It's not something that you're doing out of obedience to someone else. You're not obeying someone else's idea of good. And so, you know, you're just kind of a a drone. You know, if it, if, it, if a drone does something good, it's not actually good. It's just a drone following program programming. Uh, But as an atheist, you're not following any programming. You are doing good out of the goodness of your own heart. And I think that that actually makes you a better person, a more moral person, because you're actually making moral decisions. Uh, So, yeah, I think that on the atheist side of things, morality is is clarified, whereas it's rather muddy on the Christian side of the fence. Dale, can you counter that?
0: So I do think... um on atheism, there are no necessary moral truths. Um, there are no necessary moral principles or uh, duties. And yes, I'm, I'm using the word necessary instead of objective uh, purposefully, because I, I think that's what's important to me, at least when I think of morality. In, in order to be a quote-unquote good person, um, we need to be consistent with a, a necessary moral standard. Um, so yeah that that's sort of my my take that's what's important to me and atheism I don't think can get you that
2: it doesn't matter uh, it, the only thing that matters is the good that you do is honest to goodness goodness and it's, it's not compelled
0: goodness because you think that you're supposed to be following some standard well that's what I just said right that's the necessary part it, it, you gotta know that what you're doing is necessarily good and therefore, you want to do it. But yeah, let, let's let's see how Drew comes back on this.
1: Yeah, the uh, so my my Hint co-host, Corey, thinks a lot through the morality arguments and uh, a lot of friends of mine. And this is true for me, have been deeply, deeply moved by mere Christianity, by C.S. Lewis, just yeah. um, in my circles. You know, a lot of us read it in our early 20s and it had an impact on us. And I'd say the first 40 percent of the book, it's getting into kind of basic terms of morality arguments in just a very compelling way for lay people. Um, and it's never been the thing that's resonated with me, uh, even y- being a strong Christian. It's fine for us to establish what will we agree upon as what will create the best society. And it's fine to just live forward with that, even if there's not some kind of, you know, divine being looking out for us. But at the same time, I don't think it's as simple to put I, – I think our motivations are so much more complex than we even realize and way more complex than David. I think you just laid it out in terms of like um, if as an atheist, you do something that's good, you're doing it for goodness sake. If you're a Christian, you're doing it to get some kind of reward or just because you're supposed to. I think things are a lot more complex than that. Like I think we do, um, uh, you know, if you're not a believer, you do a lot of good for a lot of different reasons, personal satisfaction, personal satisfaction, Uh, You know, which is kind of a complicated motivation, but uh, maybe for perception, for um, you feel like you're supposed to, uh, you know, to kind of check off the box in your life or on your personal resume that you're a good person. Um, I, I do think there are other rewards you get from it, even if it's something that doesn't feel as tangible. It's an oversimplification to say. Um, You know, you just do it out of obedience. Um, I would say the the thing about Christianity that uh, was was and still is very moving for me, like when you uh, I think it's Second Corinthians, it's Second Corinthians eight or nine. I can't remember which one, but Paul is basically urging uh, the people in Corinth to be more generous with their lives and financially and the thing he says, the motivation he gives, do this just as Christ did this for you.
2: But do this just as Christ did this for you is still kind of manipulative. Uh, how about do this because this is, this is a good thing to do for people?
1: Well, I think that's great. But the question is what actually works? Um, I, th- I think that's great in theory. But I think when you, when you really get into it, um, you know, in Nicholas will writes, the New York Times, this every year, Christians give more money. You know, I'm not talking about people who put Christian on the census, but people who live, you know, actively in church and everything, they give more money, they give more time on average. My question is, what actually works? And I think the motivation, don't do it out of guilt because Christ did this for you. Do this because you've been given to so generously, and you see the impact that that has on you. How could you not? When I see that impact be made on other people as well, like where do you get the resources? Where do you get the motivation, the love, the power to actually live your life in that way? Because we can talk about living generously in theory all we want. The question is who's actually putting on their boots and going out and serving the homeless this afternoon. Um, And I do think Christian motivation –
2: that's, that's more organizational than individual. The church is an organization that gathers you know, millions of people a week uh, and part of the central thing that all churches do is collect money and some small percentage of that money goes to charities. Atheists don't have that kind of organization, but if you look at it on a more individual level, it's almost universal. Uh, they say um, after church on, on Sunday uh, waitresses hate it when Christians come to the restaurants because they're bad tippers. Uh, atheists Great tippers. Christians, lousy. So, you know, yeah, organizationally, churches uh, have uh, institutions uh, in place uh, for giving that that doesn't exist with atheists simply because we don't have those weekly uh, meetings. But I don't think that says anything about the condition of the heart. It might, though, as you say, speak to just sheer practicality.
1: Yeah, I think, well, I think the organizational aspect definitely plays a role, but as I find it to be more than that, too, as you know, and obviously you've been in Christian communities quite a bit, too. But as someone who's been deeply rooted in Christian and secular communities, I do think it has an I have found it to have an individual impact as well.
2: Yeah, if we if um, we cut you off, it's only because you've cut out on our side. And so we're, uh, yeah. we're just filling in that uh, air. So we're not we're not actually trying to be rude. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well rudeness comes naturally thinking. to some of us
2: but we're not that's not what we're doing
1: <laughs> well i the the other thing i want to go to is it's not just what's happening on the individual level and one thing i alluded to when i was going through my story is a lot of the values that we take for granted now they have their roots in christianity and uh, like a lot of these things that we take for granted with human rights and all that, it wouldn't even exist had Christianity not come onto the scene two thousand years ago. Yes, I've
2: I've heard the argument many times that we get uh, our community values from from Christianity. You know, the best values in the world we come from Christianity. That that actually that's Uh, just after
0: this follow up question, we'll let Drew respond and then we'll move on to the next one just for time. Right.
2: So that that uh, argument doesn't resonate because we had Judaism before Christianity. And it's kind of like saying, yeah, well, those Jews, they were awful. Thank goodness for Christianity to come along. If Jesus hadn't come along and said a new command, I give you to love one another, no one would ever love each other what a novel idea i think that christian uh christians uh, try to claim a bit um much with that argument to some to some degree you can say yes well you know some some social institutions happened under christianity's watch and that's good i don't want to take that away but i'm not convinced that we wouldn't have had that under some other watch and we've also had uh many social harms under christianity that you know it's one of those um count the hits and ignore the misses. Christians don't like to talk about those and we've kind of had to overcome Christianity uh, to to reach certain social goals. So uh, yes, agree in part, but it's it's not terribly convincing at the end of the day.
1: Well, I would say to piggyback on what you were saying, I don't think it's just an issue of history to say that there are a lot of negatives uh, when it comes to Christianity and morality. I think we're dealing with that in a big way. Like it I I don't mind, you know, putting some people on their heels with this comment, but like there will be no fact uh, more uh, shocking to me in my lifetime than that one person considered voting for Trump. That will always continue to be the most shocking fact of my life. (laughs) Um, no matter what else happens We could, <laughs> aliens could come down And I would be more shocked that one person voted for Trump But so I, But there is such a divide, There is such a, 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 a Fear of progress Within quote unquote Christian circles Right now that it is so distasteful To me um, There's a dismissiveness to progress And to issues of immigration and all that That is so distasteful to me um, Earlier Are these people who are using the Christian tag you know, like many of the popes, because basically they wanted power, like Pope Innocent II, um, who wasn't at all innocent. Um, you know, they, they wanted power and they were – Christianity was a vehicle for power. Or were they actually – were they actually like that was the guiding force in their life? And I I, I would – I'm very skeptical of saying those people leading the crusades and all that were actually Christian. Um and, and I think, like, a, a lot of the amazing things that happen, especially in early Christian history, and I'm going to that because that's before there was a real institution church. Uh, you know, there are these plagues that would break out. and You get quotes from Roman Empire saying, like, all our people are leaving the city, but the Christians are the ones flooding in at the risk of their own lives to try to take care of the sick and the dying. Um, I think I... I do find, and I, this isn't just a Christian argument. I'd say read Luke Ferry, who's not a Christian, read Rodney Stark, who's not a Christian, uh, and they'll say this. It was women in the poor who. And that's before there was a real institutional church and they were like turning values on their head. And, you know, I've read a lot of ancient history because I've been very interested in this question. You know, there's a I I believe it's a Chinese emperor that was very focused on social justice long before Jesus came onto the scene. You know, there there's an Egyptian emperor, Pharaoh. You, You can find these individual figures, but they're very rare in history. Uh, and even a lot of the quotes that we attribute to Buddha who definitely came before Jesus, those quotes don't actually come until after the life of Jesus. And so we don't actually know that those quotes came from Buddha himself. Um, and so I do think there's something to the, the historical case of, of the values that Christianity has stirred in the world.
2: Okay, we'll uh, <laughs> we'll hand it over to Dale. We have passed the hour mark here, just uh, putting it a time then, check there so that we, we all know where we are. Uh and, and also just so you know, I am not happy leaving it there. But
1: <laughs> know, I am not I am I, am I, I know how hard that self control is. Yeah <laughs> so. I, I I I understand that
0: <laughs> awesome. so save me all from right. myself Dale. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so let's go back to the light side, you know, the the good side of things. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna skip one here because um, I think it's sort of been covered. Um, this will be the last one that I give that is not my own personal advice. Um, and then afterwards, I'll I'll give you what you asked. I'll give you you know how I came to faith and my sort of journey and and my best advice. And y- you could take that and, and see if anything would be helpful for you, but. Yeah, just before we get to that, here's another common thing that Christians might recommend. And they might say, look, all of us uh, go through doubts or periods of doubting and that sort of thing. But just because you're going through that doesn't mean you have to leave the faith. Um, Stay within the fold. Um, It's almost like a a fake it till you make it um, type thing. You know, like if you just stay in the fold, eventually it'll, it'll... your doubts will work themselves out um, what do you what do you make of that that type of argument?
1: yeah, well, you know even c s Lewis said that like uh, in, in ten times that he reads the Bible, nine times he's doing it for the one, you know that like nine times he doesn't feel anything, it doesn't give him anything, but one out of ten times it will stir him and move him in a sense and i think I think that principle applies to a lot of the Christian experience. I do think it is natural to us, um, and I think this applies to marriage, frankly. A- at the end of the day, in marriage, it's not just about how you feel. At the end of the day, love is an action. But the, the overall, despite our changing moods and feelings and emotions, your sense of belief is strong enough that, that you continue moving forward. But I think for me, you know, I, I said that that moment on stage came for me in 2014. So we're talking almost five years ago. And there was a long period of internal disillusionment that I think was building before that. So for me, this isn't just a season of doubt.
2: Okay. Look, I'm, I'm going to skip most of mine on this list to, to close off with this one. Actually, I'm going to cheat and throw two in. <laughs> so uh, the first one, you don't actually have to comment on, Dale, if you don't want to, but I'm just, I'm just going to say, uh, I think... If you, if you choose uh, to be an unbeliever, an unapologetic unbeliever, it, if, it's, it's probably because there just wasn't enough evidence. There, there, was, there was enough reasonable doubt in there so that you couldn't play the, the faith game. And if there ever becomes enough evidence, you can always go back. So there's, there's mm. a path forward. So there's, there, you're really not losing anything. And if you, if you die and then you do end up uh, in front of God and he says, well, why didn't you believe? You can just be honest. I'm, I'm sorry. I tried. There wasn't enough evidence. I, I, I follow the evidence. And, and you can feel good about your time in hell in, in torture <laughs> because, you don't. Know, I mean, you really don't have anything to regret. Um, at that point you were, you were true to yourself, but if at any, some point before that he, he gives you more evidence, then you, you then you have it. You haven't lost anything. You haven't been a bad person, but the, the argument that I really want to end with, uh, from my portion is, you know, that there's no such thing as magic. I mean, just stop it. Um, so I know that you you can quote miracle stories and, uh, you know, present me with books, some of which I haven't read, and <laughs> studies and research and so forth. Oh, these, these uh, ten claims of miracles over here, you can't disprove that. You know what? Miracle stories don't do it for me, and I suspect they don't do it for you. Uh, I don't need stories about miracles. I need a miracle. And that's a very different thing. Mm. So don't tell me the story about how God gave some person a miracle and it restored their faith. Because if God gave that person a miracle and has restored their faith, he could have given me a miracle to restore my faith. Screw that guy. So (laughs) he clearly has his favorites. He has chosen who he wants to give miracles and who he wants to uh, withhold them from. If God has, if, if this is a world full of magic Give me a miracle. Don't give me another story of miracles. And I would say that you, mm. Drew, uh, as, my, as my harshest, most jerky self, you know there ain't no such thing. This is, this is um, Samuel Clemens saying that uh, uh, faith is believing in what every damn fool knows ain't true. So that said, um, if, if the Christian story does promise some type of, of magic it needs to be firsthand not stories of it
1: i deeply agree with an aspect of what you said and deeply disagree with an aspect of what you said um i i'll start with what i disagree on i don't just clearly believe that you know things i'll define supernatural as something that exists outside of what we currently know about science or deem to be true about science. I'll define something supernatural or a miracle as something outside of, you know, the current guardrails of science, I'll say. Um, I don't know that those things don't happen. I think my human experience and exposure is such a blip on the radar. It's a tiny, tiny grain of sand in, in terms of what all is actually out there. I have a lot of s- stories from people that I deeply, deeply trust. And, um, you know, and then some of them will be two degrees of separation. And that means something to me. And for whatever reason, I don't know if I said this in Hinge, but um, for whatever reason, a lot of the stories I know from uh, people I do have strong relationships with and that I respect and trust, they're from missionaries who have lived in other countries. And so the- is there a dynamic where, um, you know, in the Bible, the spirit moves in different places in, in different ways at different times. Could there be a similar dynamic now where maybe those things don't really happen much in the States, but they're happening in Africa or in South America? Uh, I don't know. Maybe. Uh, but I won't necessarily jump on the train and say, you know, come on, stop it.
2: Cool. Sure. Um, no. So I, I get that. Excuse but me? Once again, if your if your miracle is two degrees of separation, if that's the closest I can get to a miracle, uh, a friend of a friend says that this thing happened, or even a friend says that this thing happened, if that's the closest I can get to a miracle, it's not close enough for me.
1: Mm, yeah. Uh, I, I think the challenge for me is most of the ones that are from direct friends are not as crazy of the stories. Um, uh, now, with there's there's a story that I won't get into now at the beginning of the eighth episode of Hinge that's more personal to me. The, you know, there's been some not quite miraculous stuff, but odd stuff in my personal life. Um, now, coincidences happen all the time. The biggest coincidence would be no coincidences happening. Um, but I've still had odd stuff happen in my life that caused me to raise an eyebrow. Uh, I. Um, completely agree and I would say this is the number one reason why I've had doubt and why I've taken a step back is I think the idea that some people would get more revelation and others wouldn't and that God wouldn't make himself abundantly clear to me that goes back to a word I used earlier it feels like a game like what is this what are you doing why would you do it this way this is like we're so inundated with this story uh, and these conversations about faith, which, by the way, faith in the Bible means trust in a God who has already completely revealed himself. Faith in the Bible is not making up something that doesn't exist. That's a definition we've applied to that word. Yeah. Um, the, uh, uh, if, if I were to see him at the end of my life, I wouldn't be so worried about defending myself. I'd be so damn curious. Why would you do things this way? This is so odd, and it is not loving. It is frustrating as hell. What is this? Um, the current notion of faith has never been attractive to me. Pretend it's pretending is all it is, um, and I I just it's it's a game that I really despise right now, despite all the reasons I've named out this episode and are very true emotionally and and. and Consciously for me that I, I, I do feel there are great reasons to believe the overarching reason for me is what you said of actually, some people get more evidence and others don't. I don't like that. I'm, I'm not game for that.
2: So I'm going to give the last uh, the last effort question to uh, to Dale, and I am going to say thank you so much for. Uh, your participation in playing along uh, in this game show from hell, uh,
1: <laughs> perhaps Dale did I win. Will... If if it's a game show, did I win?
2: Well, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see if you're still on the fence after Dale's final question. Take it away. Dale.
0: <laughs> sure. So, so in the first place, it, it's not not necessarily a question. Although I, I am interested to see what you make of it, but. So this is gonna be my actual advice. This is, this is what Dale thinks as a Christian that might be helpful based on my circumstances. So shockingly, in the first place, based on everything I've heard, my advice is I think what you're doing is exactly the right thing. I, I think it is good for you to have left the faith. I, I applaud you for having the intellectual integrity uh, and strength of will um, to do that. Uh, but yet at the same time, you're still a, a real seeker, what I call a real seeker, you're, you're open to truth. You, you haven't cut yourself off uh, in the same way I think David has from even considering uh, that, well, Christianity could be true. Just, just because I've left the faith doesn't mean that there's nothing to it. I, I think there might be something to it, so I'm willing to engage with people like Mike Lacona or come on skeptics and seekers and continue in the dialogue and r- remain open to you know maybe someday I'll, I'll learn it is true or, or I'll be pushed you know to say oh it's false or something obviously as a Christian um, I think that God will reveal the truth I believe Christianity is true um, as long as you remain true to what you think is true and remain an open seeker so that that's my advice um, and it's, it's rooted in my own story so I know you're interested in my conversion story because I just recently converted um, so I, in terms of me, I, I grew up uh, a Christian, uh, Protestant Christian, um, all the way, you know, I had, and during my teens, I started having minor doubts, but nothing that would push me to consider, even consider that it was possible that Christianity might be false. Uh, it wasn't until I had graduated university that I started encountering things that actually made me question my goodness, I, I might actually be wrong, uh, and Christianity is false. Um, I, do you want to hear like what the the triggering event was? I don't know if you care about that, or um, but yeah, b- basically what what yeah, I was having. Yeah, hear- I'd love to hear that. All right, cool. Yeah, that's so what I, I was having. Um, obviously, I was familiar with sort of Christian apologetics, so evidence for the resurrection or. Um, I think I was trying to make an argument from prophecies at, at one point with some friends who are, you know, hardcore skeptics and that sort of thing, and they just, they, they weren't getting it. They didn't get the nuance, as you said, about the historical criteria for for establishing the historical facts related to the resurrection and that sort of thing. They were just dismissing it, and they were saying, yeah, but you can't have sex unless you're married, or, uh, you know, oh yeah, I've got to waste Sundays going to church, and I, I just, I was getting frustrated with them because I, I thought it was so stupid like why are you dismissing these these good arguments that are, I'm presenting that prove quote-unquote prove Christianity is true and you're raising petty uh, complaints and stuff like that um, and I, you know I, I remember getting frustrated with them and they just turned to me and they're like yeah but but Dale think of it you're, you're doing that these are important factors for us and you're just dismissing that and wanting us to focus on what you want to focus on. And I remember that being a realization that, geez, yeah, if I'm going to be honest, I need to look at this from both sides and, and consider both the positive evidence and the negative evidences for the truth of every religion. So that was sort of the triggering event. Uh, three months later, I, I left, I did made the decision you did. I left the church. I I didn't believe it was true. I needed to, uh, go on a search to search the evidences for and against all the various religions within reason whatever I could do um, and yeah so that that's been a journey I, I've reached out to people like Gary Gary Habermas as a personal friend of mine you know I've, I've worked with Mike Lacona um, Shabir Ali as a, a Muslim apologist and that sort of thing over the years and yeah they you know they sort of help me. They listen to all my doubts. We we would talk things out, get together on Skype, and that sort of thing. Um, and it's been about a decade. It's been about eight eight to nine years um, of my going through that. Um, but what I did is I would I would look lay out. Okay, what are the positive evidences for Christianity? Ultimately, for me, there is four. Number one, there's a properly basic belief based on the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. This is a subjective evidence that you either have or you don't. Um, secondly, there is the evidence from the resurrection, um, specifically the appearance to the twelve um, is where I think uh, there could be something on a balance of probabilities there. Um, also, the Shroud of Turin, I think, is good evidence, again, on a balance of probabilities. And then fourthly, there's what I call the vindication argument. Um, so that's that sort of incorporates the other three in saying, well, the Bible predicted Uh, vindication in this way. Um, So that's kind of a complicated... We have a show on on the vindication argument, but think of it sort of as a long... um, Mike Lacona has got his argument for the resurrection prediction, right? Um, If we could prove the resurrection happened and prove that Jesus predicted it, we get double warrant out of that one miracle. It's not just that the resurrection miracle happened, but also there's the second quote-unquote miracle that... Uh, jesus predicted it as well that shows divine involvement in the prediction so those those were my four reasons and those outweighed the negative evidences which which i start i had 95% d- degree of warrant i believed that christianity was false based on the negative evidences such such as the one that you you mentioned like why, why is you know you can say well why isn't the holy spirit operating the way the bible Says or or you know why is there this error in the Bible that those are sort of negative evidences that would factor into that so yeah I, I plugged them into Bayes theorem and got an overall probability of fifty three point one four I know that sounds really weird um, but yeah that that's what happened I I think it's more probable than not that Christianity is true based on laying out these various factors and assigning subjective or normative probabilities of uh, you know what do i think after considering the reasons for and against and that's where i came out to so um yeah that that might be my advice maybe it'll help you to kind of lay it out um and and just assign well how how convinced am i of the resurrection or how can how strong is this the fact the holy spirit didn't speak to me when i was a christian how How strong is that in terms of disproving Christianity or something? And if you assess religions in that way, it might be helpful. It was for me at least. Um, So yeah. And and I I I would just like to, I just like to emphasize before you get in there, Drew, he,
2: he only got up to 53% probability that was that Christianity was true. So his, his probability is a little bit higher than that now. I I think he said it's it's somewhere in the mid sixties now, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but in order for him to declare himself a believer in factoring everything in using some form of bays, it, it's 53% that it was true. And from, for my part, that wouldn't have been enough.
1: Yeah, well, it, it does have me very curious and I appreciate you sharing that story and I obviously appreciate the thoughtfulness. Uh, through which you, you, you went through it. I, I am curious if, let's say it came out to 47.14%, what would you have done if that would have been the case?
0: Yeah, so I, I sort of struggle with that because I think um, Richard Swinburne and, and even David sort of asked me like, well, what is the cutoff? So I, I see anything from 40 to 60% as is what I call the agnostic range so i think a reasonable person the the legal definition an average person average intelligence blah 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 um i think they could rationally if say you're 47 percent, you could rationally bite the bullet and say i'll believe um or vice versa if you're 53 percent um i could be rational in saying well it's just so close um i'm not gonna believe i personally didn't do that I, i chose to go i'm gonna go with what's the assigned On a balance of probabilities, and apportion my belief accordingly. If I get 50.01 percent, for whatever reason I chose two decimal places um, or more, that's enough for me to believe. Um, Now, if if it is, let's say, somewhere between 40 to 50 percent, the only way I could feel comfortable believing, despite the fact that the evidence comes out more improbable, is maybe based on an argument. While all the other religions are so much, so much lower, like they're at 20% or, or 15% and only Christianity gets the within the agnostic range, maybe then I might consider biting the bullet and saying, even though it's improbable, I'm, I'm going to say I, I've uh, misstudied something and, and maybe bite the bullet and still be a Christian there. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, yeah. Interesting i i do i i don't want to get into the minutia, but it does seem very hard from my perspective to know how to weight different things when you're i i can assume how the formula itself works but mm-hmm. to know how to weight different things and assign the values that seems to me like it would be a very difficult process
0: uh yeah believe me it was and and that's why i make it clear these are subject these are normative or subjective probabilities mm-hmm. i've no way of calculating, you know, what's what's the probability of these things. And, uh, you know, Mike Lacona, Shibir Ali, they've all taken me to task because of this. But I just use them more as a helpful heuristic tool, you know, that this is where I stand. Um, And I believe the probability values that I assign can at least be proven, at least for the objective ones, be proven to be within the reasonableness range. So, you know with something like, okay, what's the what's the probability that the Holocaust happened? Maybe I'll say ninety-seven percent. I'm ninety-seven. You might go, well, I'm ninety-five. Um, but still, we're we're in the reasonableness range. Some someone might even say hundred. But but if someone comes and says, well, no, I'm only twenty percent. Right there, that that's not reasonable. We 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 know you you are ignorant of some facts, or you you got some agenda, or you know you're you're there's something were there a Nazi. Sorry?
1: Or they're a Nazi. <laughs> exactly. We uh, need to take them to court.
0: Yeah. Exactly. But but that that's what I mean. Like, um, even though there I can allow for flexibility in the subjectivities, um, as long as I, I think my values are established within a re if you would say I'm a reasonable person uh, in assigning that value, that's that's my goal. Not to get you to get to the exact numbers that i have
2: so that said drew you did talk about a balance of probabilities two or three times uh throughout the course of this podcast uh so (laughs) totally unfair question taking a dalian perspective what is your probability that christianity is true are you higher or lower than
1: 53 (laughs) percent Oh, you're going to make me do this, aren't you? I'm going to try. <laughs> oh. oh, gosh. Um, uh, a,
0: uh, evil atheist here. Uh, <laughs> I'm wearing the T-shirt. <laughs> and before you do that, though, j- just out of curiosity, I, I, I get that this is not a common approach. As I said, I've gotten pushback on it from Mike Lacona and that sort of thing. But when, when I explained the way I'm using it, they said, OK, well, it's not my style, but you can do that. And and it did help me to sort of lay out the things and sort of get give me an idea of where I stand on each of the individual elements. Did, do you see anything beneficial in, in the advice at all that you can use or is it just no, it's not for you?
1: Uh, yeah, well, I, I, I because I am someone who thinks in terms of probability, I can relate and I think it's helpful. Uh, at the same time, I think at the end of the day, as I, as I mentioned earlier, I think it comes down to some kind of to core feeling. Yeah. Using this formula, it drives, if you're a philosophical thinker, the premises that you buy into. I, I, I think our feelings really drive all of this. And for me, I do, I have in the past made lists of, you know, reasons to believe and reasons not to believe. And then for me, it's, it's a lot less scientific. I just kind of look at the list and then kind of figure out a range of probability. And I actually am going to resist giving a number now because I'm, uh, I'm, I'm hesitant to... I, I think giving a number will put a tag on me that I'm not quite useful. Fair enough. Um, I will say this. Um, I'm very Christ-haunted. Uh, I would say where I feel right now is probably below fifty percent, um, but not significantly so. And it is during forty-seven <laughs> yeah. percent. Everyone heard 47%. that, right? percent. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <Go ahead. laughs> well, right. thankfully, I'm not like anyone big where this is going to be like a Twitter conversation that Drew Sokol has a. I don't think too many people are are going to be that interested in my specific percent. But I still, I, I know that I'm not like.
0: Uh, it helps.
1: Provide I, 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 I kind of need to come to a season experience ...to kind of give a more uh, honest, maybe normative uh, answer to that question, whereas right now I'm not in a typical season of life.
0: That's fine. No, I, that's cool. I, I just wanted to know where you're... And just to follow up, so in terms of positive evidences, I think you alluded to the resurrection would you say in isolation forget about the overall context of is christianity true or not um are, are there any positive evidences like the resurrection that you personally in isolation are like well yeah i think in general the the evidence is more probable than not for that something is is here that christianity is true based on this
1: uh hmm. Well, if, if if I were to say I wouldn't have a probability for the resurrection that's higher than Christianity itself being true, because I would pretty quickly just be like, if Jesus rose from the dead, i buy into Christianity. So there's, there's some kind of narrative you can come up with where those two don't have to be joined together, but I basically join them together. Um So if I were to isolate the evidence only on the resurrection, um, it's hard for me to do that because obviously it happens in the context of so many other factors. And again, like a big uh, piece of evidence against Jesus rising rising from the dead is what I find uh, to be – some of the things Jesus said not being true anywhere to the degree that he describes in terms of how he talks about the Holy Spirit. And it's very difficult for me to separate those things. Um, I think a lot of the reasons to believe for me, I can't, I can't necessarily, I'd have to think longer if I thought of them in isolation, which is not generally how I think, uh, would I say that they're above 50%. I I don't quite know on that, but the general reasons for me to believe are definitely um, the resurrection, the quality itself of the Gospels uh, they just are other to me compared to other ancient writing there's something different Um, the early Christian community, the quality of it um, certainly um, the teachings and the values that it stirred over the course of history and even though this is an evidence more of there being something out there, not specifically of Christianity um, you know, all the to me crazy scientific stuff that had to be in place just so for us to be here at all. Um, and you know, human consciousness and those things suggest to me, um, something, uh, something a bit different. I, I, those are the immediate things that come to mind in terms of positive evidence.
2: Sure. Thank you very much. And we, and from me too, um, it's been a, it's been a real pleasure, um, and an eye-opener i mean honestly when you were when you were speaking in your introduction i had thought to myself the first thing that i would say when i got on mic was scientology huh <laughs> 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 obviously can't really chase that down but um you know this is this has been that kind of uh discussion where there's been uh so much to talk about in uh, as much time as we've spent. It feels like we've only just had a, a brief introduction. And so perhaps if you have not found this uh, too painful, you will agree to come back uh, perhaps
1: sometime in the summer and we can pick up some of these threads. Yeah, man, well, this this has been a blast for me. Love the questions and uh, love the concept and the structure and everything. And you count me in for the summer. All right. Awesome.
0: <laughs> Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank, thank you so much. I want to say thank you on behalf of the audience. We, we loved having Drew, uh, Sokol on, um, go in and check out his podcast, uh, podcast uh, room for doubt, room for a doubt. Um, it is excellent. I-
2: uh, it is one of my favorite podcasts and I have a list full of podcasts. Uh, so I don't say this about every guest of their podcast, but I, I loved hinge, uh, when it was on and I, uh, Love room for doubt, um, just as much. And so, if you're looking for a, a good listen with someone that you that you feel like isn't playing a game and is being very honest and vulnerable every week, um, this guy, room for doubt.
1: Thank you, thank you. Excellent. All right,
0: we'll have a have a good week, everyone. Wait, we'll wait, wait, see- wait. Who do oh. we have next week? Uh, Natalie Collins, I believe. Yes. Black.
2: So next week, Natalie Collins, and I just want to—I just want to cue this up. You're not going to want to miss this, people. Uh, you've heard me talk to Natalie before, but this is going to be so much more interesting. We are going to be talking about uh, personal revelation and how God communicates. To Christians, Natalie is one of those Christians who will affirm that God speaks to her and gives her guidance uh, in very specific things in very specific ways. And so we're gonna we're gonna talk about uh, the communication of God via the Holy Spirit and try to have a, a serious conversation about this that does not devolve into
0: chaos. <laughs> and. Yeah, in terms of announcements, I should probably also announce, um, so everyone knows we we had uh, David Smalley on our show last week, Um, and yeah, he he was kind enough, uh, quote-unquote kind enough, uh, to to invite me to come on his show, Dogma Debates, uh, for this upcoming week to discuss a controversial topic. I I know people find uh, the Abrahamic test, you know, he has the famous question about, you know, Old Testament killings and that sort of thing, and... um, he sticks it to you like would if you had a son would you kill your your own son and I think most of our listeners know I, I have sort of a controversial take on that so I, I'm hoping to which is to say yes it, it's yes I under certain strict conditions I say yes to it and um I'm really this is something I put a lot of thought into so I'm, I'm really hoping that I can provide some nuance as to how I get there with Smalley. It, it might blow up in my face, but uh it, yeah, it, it might not. So, uh, Tune Tune into David that.
2: Smalley is going to have to ship Dale back to me in a box. There'll be pieces <laughs> and I'll have to put them together slowly. But it's going to be a fun listen whatever happens. So, I'm, I'm best, yeah. yeah, Natalie mm-hmm. Collins and uh, look out for the Smalley interview. Uh Dale will put a list of that and once again uh, tune in Room for Doubt. Thank you so much Drew and uh, for everyone else have a great day.
0: Bye.
1: Thank you guys.